0: Well, again, uh, good morning, and I'm just going to keep talking, and I know that Finn will figure out the right level if I do. Uh, But for those of you who haven't figured it out, my name is Jason Coker. I'm one of the co-ministers here along with Janelle. And uh, this is the part where I get to share with you my perspective on the series that we have been working through called Conversations with Jesus. What we've been doing is visiting various passages in the Gospels, picking up the conversations that Jesus has been having uh, with other people or in some circumstances uh, with the temptations in Jesus's life. Today, what we're going to do is pick up a familiar story. And I want to share with you how I think that story intersects in a particularly relevant way with our church here at the Oceanside Sanctuary. Um, But before I do, would you all just say a prayer with me? God, we thank you so much for this day, for this opportunity, for us to gather, to celebrate, to pray, to lift our voices, uh, to bring our concerns, to bring our joys and celebrations, to lay our grief or laments at the foot of the altar to bring our attention to each other, to Scripture, to you. This is a space where we come, God, to imbibe of the good things that you have for us. The worship and the liturgy and the relationships that we're forming here. We ask that as we do that, as we imbibe those good things, that you would bring good outcomes, that we would become people who are transformed into something new by your good presence. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be taking a look today at Luke chapter 5. We're going to pick it up in verse 33. And this is part of a kind of ongoing discourse where Jesus, of course, uh, is having a kind of confrontation with some of the teachers of the law at that time. And so we're gonna pick it up kind of in the middle of that discourse in verse 33, it says this, then they said to him, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray, but your disciples eat and drink. Now, the they in verse 33 there is uh, the experts in the law, the teachers of the law, these are the folks who were sort of the prominent religious experts at the time. And as you know, of course, Jesus tended to clash with them. And I've mentioned this before, but I think it's worth saying again. Sometimes we view this as a kind of you know violent confrontation between Jesus and the teachers of the law. One of the things that I've tried to suggest to you is that this kind of ongoing dialogue or discourse between Jesus and those that he's arguing with is actually quite normal that it is sort of the heart of Judaism to see God and who God is and the place of being in relationship or right relationship with notions of God is a place of contest that it's a kind of ongoing debate and dialogue and discourse so that we can learn together and figure out together what's true and that's hard for us sometimes because We're sort of conflict averse for the most part. Most of us don't like to have disagreements or arguments. Most of us like our least favorite holiday of the year is Thanksgiving, right? Because we don't want to have arguments or differences of opinion or perspective. Uh, And that is of course, partly because we've all bought into a kind of false binary that everything is either all right or all wrong. And so when we disagree, there's this violent clash. But Jesus represents a different perspective on that, a very Jewish perspective that in our spiritual lives to discover the truth means to contend with each other, means to dialogue and to debate and, God forbid, even disagree from time to time, but still engage in that wrestling together in pursuit of what's true. That's what's happening here. It's not that the Pharisees are terrible people. The Pharisees are people who are desperately searching after a sense of God in their midst. But they do see some things very differently. And so they question Jesus. They often accuse Jesus. They use sometimes harsh rhetoric with Jesus, and sometimes Jesus returns the favor. Verse 33, it says, Then they said to him, John's disciples, like the disciples of the Pharisees, frequently fast and pray. But your disciples, they're partying it up. What is the deal? What's going on here? Why is it that the people following you don't participate in the same old religious rituals and practices that have become standard in our community? Jesus says to them, verse 34, you cannot make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them, can you? That's a... Bold statement. Jesus is saying, well, they're partying because they're at a party. Weddings are where you drink wine and enjoy yourselves. There is a celebration happening. And because they're with me and because I represent the fulfillment of God's promises, they are partying. So he uses that sort of interesting little image there. Uh, We're not going to dwell on that because we're going to spend more time with another image. But he goes on. Uh, after giving that sort of bridegroom image, he says, verse 35, the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Okay, fair enough. Verse 36. He also tells them a parable. So now Jesus switches to another image. He says, you do not take a piece from an old garment and sew it on, or uh, from a new garment, and sew it onto an old garment. Otherwise, the new will be torn and the place from the new will not match the old." Here, Jesus borrows another image. He says, you know, listen, you got a hole in your jeans. Now, none of us are gonna relate to this, right? (laughs) Uh, Because, you know, like I get my clothes from Stitch Fix and my jeans are like $6.50 a piece somehow by some magic of market and labor exploitation. My jeans are like $6.50 and I throw them away every three months, right? Back in Jesus' day, if you got a hole in your jeans, you fixed it. Right? Apparently, I lived back in Jesus' day because when I was a kid, my mom would put like little, like, ladybug patches on my jeans when I got holes in them, which was really embarrassing. Anyway, this is not a place for me to unpack my trauma. <laughs> Jesus is saying that when you have a hole in your jeans, you don't take a brand new piece of cloth and sew it on to your old jeans. Why? Because when you wash it, that new cloth will shrink. And when it does, it will make the hole 10 times worse, right? Now, Jesus is sharing an image here that is going to play into the next image. He's saying, in essence, that what he's doing, what he and the disciples represent, is like that new piece of cloth and that those old religious practices are like the hole in an old pair of jeans. And he's saying these two things don't go together. So that has something to do with why his disciples aren't fasting. And then in order to just either clarify or make the situation even more confusing, Jesus continues verse 37. This is where we're gonna spend our time this morning. Verse 37, and no one puts new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the new wine will burst the skins and will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new wine, but says the old is good. Now, he again moves on to a very similar image to the patches and the cloth, right? He says, again, that there is something to do with what is old and what is new. And somehow the old and the new don't mix very well. And for that reason, Jesus's disciples aren't engaging in the old religious practices. What is going on here? Well, Jesus is using a metaphor or an image, a kind of construct to help his listeners learn something new about what Jesus is doing in the world. The wine, in this case, of course, represents something good, right? When you go to weddings and you drink wine, that is good. Now, don't get hung up on the wine. Some of you guys don't like wine at all. That's okay. You don't have to like wine. Some of you don't drink wine because it's not good for you. That's okay. Don't drink wine if it's not good for you. Don't get hung up on the wine part. The point is, there is something good right? That produces something good in our lives, right? In this case, Jesus uses the metaphor of wine. And then there is something about that wine that makes it so that you can't put it into old wineskins. Now, here's what's happening there. I'm sure you guys have all heard this before, but what's happening with new wine is that it's not done fermenting, right? Now, because I'm a San Diegan, and have been living in San Diego since the middle part of the 2000s, I, of course, spent many years making beer in my garage, like some of you." Like, you know, San Diego's sort of like the world capital of craft beer. And for some reason, every other dude in San Diego, and a few women, too, at some point decided that they were all about making craft beer uh, for themselves. Well, I was one of those guys I know. It's very cliche, right? For a few years, I made a lot of beer in my garage. Some of it was good. Some of it wasn't so good. But the point is this. Fermentation is a crazy, violent process if you didn't know that. Uh, One day, while beer was busily fermenting in a glass car, you know, carboy, a big glass jug in my garage, Janelle and I were sitting in the house and we literally heard an explosion outside. We thought that Camp Pendleton had shelled our garage. That's how loud it was. And I ran out to the garage to find out what, you know, munition had erupted in our garage. And it turns out that it wasn't a shell, it was the... The fermenting, like, I don't know what I was making at the time. It was probably a coconut porter or something like that, right? Now I'm thirsty. So anyway, I was making something, and the fermentation process had gotten so active, so violent, that it literally blew the top off of the glass carboy. And as Janelle and I were running into the garage, we were greeted by a volcano of beer. I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm kidding. A volcano of beer that was shooting out of the top of the glass carboy hitting the ceiling of the garage and then raining down in the garage now this breaks your heart right when when it happens it's it's almost like spilling coffee it's that bad right Uh, but the point is of course that the fermentation process is a living process and Jesus borrows from this metaphor, I think, specifically because this understanding of fermentation communicates this idea that there is this radically, like, sometimes even almost violent process of change that's happening in the liquid. What's happening there, of course, is that there are sugars in the liquid, and then you introduce yeast, which is a living organism. The yeast eats the sugars, it multiplies, and the byproduct of that, of course, is alcohol. And that is how wine is made. It's how beer is made. And people would have understood this. So when Jesus says you can't take new wine and put it into old wineskins, What he means is, you can't take this liquid that is still being transformed, that's still being changed, that is in this process of violent change, and put it into a container that has already expanded to its limit. That's what an old wineskin would have been, right? It's already expanded to its limit. It's kind of gotten a little bit stiff and rigid. You take a a violent transforming liquid, you put it into that old container and the container will burst open. So Jesus says you can't do that. The point, of course, here is that the liquid is being changed and transformed into something new, and that process requires a new container. The old container has become too rigid. What you need instead is a new container. A new container that has the ability to stretch and grow and shape itself as the liquid inside does its thing. Jesus says that what he is doing is something like that. This, of course, is a reference to you and to me and to us together as a community. Because the change, the living transformation that's happening is the Spirit of God is doing something new in you and in me and in us at all times. There is fermentation happening in your life. And you have certain containers, certain constructs for holding on to the good things in your life. Some of those containers are churches. Communities like this, where we come together and we share how God's fermentation process is transforming us and changing us, and we have a certain container for sharing what's going on in our lives, right? Some of those containers are family. Sometimes you have families who come together and they share about the good transformational change processes that God is doing in your lives. We have these constructs and containers for sharing and holding on to these good things. And as we imbibe those good things, as we drink of those good things, as we nourish ourselves on the way that God and the spirit of God is changing us and growing us and transforming us, we have a container so that we can reliably continue to drink from that good source. But here's the problem our containers become rigid. Our constructs are built to contain a certain thing, and sometimes they can't hold on to that change. So some of you know, for example, what it's like when your construct of family can't contain the transformation that God has brought about in your life. And this is, of course, devastating and heartbreaking, when your container of family breaks open and and can't hold on to it, what you need then is a kind of new construct. Or your family can adopt its own new construct to accommodate that new thing. But if it can't, you may need to find a new one. The same, of course, is true for church and so cliche that churches can't stretch and grow and adjust their containers to create and to contain and to store the good things that God is doing. Jesus is saying exactly this. He's saying something new is happening with me and my followers. And because it's new, the old containers of religious practices can't hold on to the good new thing that God is doing. And so we are creating a new construct, a new container for it. And he likens this to this whole notion of wine and wineskins. And in doing that, Jesus does something, I think, rather smart. He grows our imagination, by giving us this image, by giving this sort of, sort of understandable metaphor for something that happens in their lives every day. Now I realize like we aren't all walking around with like boda bags of wine. Like this isn't the 1970s, right? Because uh, in the 1970s, everybody's walking around with boda bags, right? So, so I understand that this image, this metaphor is a little distant from our daily lives. But when Jesus does this, when he gives us this imaginative metaphor, what he is doing is he is expanding our imagination. He's teaching us by giving a new way of seeing Our lives a new way of thinking about our families our churches our communities and he's giving us a new way of thinking about God and how God works in our lives God works like fermentation God enters in as a living creature and literally transforms us like a fermentation process and the byproduct is something good this whole metaphor by the way is how scripture works Too often we use scripture as a rigid container that can't change or grow or adjust. But this actually is how scripture is supposed to work. We read it and we find these images and metaphors that expand our thinking rather than constrict it. It's a real gift if you're given the freedom to read it that way. And so what Jesus has done is given us a real gift for imagining how God is at work in our lives. Here's the point of his story. And don't miss this because there's something really important in verse 39 that often I think gets skipped over when we read this passage. So he gives us the image of the new wine and the new wine skins, the old wine and the old wine skins, and then in verse 39 he says something that appears to be a contradiction. After saying that new wine needs new wine skins, he says in verse 39, "And no one, after drinking old wine, desires new wine, but says the old is good." Well, that's confusing. I mean, didn't he just go to all this trouble to tell us that like new wine is better than, than the old wine? And, and that's why his disciples aren't like practicing these old practices. And that's why we need new wineskins. I've heard this passage preached a million times in this way. God is all about the new. We need to let go of the old. But Jesus comes along at the end of this little discourse and he twists it around and says, Listen, but nobody who drinks new wine prefers it. Well, I mean, if you drink wine, and if you don't, that's okay. If you do, that's, I hope that's okay. But listen, there's nothing worse than wine or beer that's still fermenting. It's bitter, it's gross, it's disgusting, it's too strong, it's astringent. It has not yet achieved the delicate balances that come with age and maturity. I used to be a professional uh, fundraiser for a while. It's a deeply shameful time of my life. (laughs) And uh, one of the things that I did as a fundraiser was regularly spent time with people who were, I mean, just uh, really ridiculously rich. right? There's an enormous amount of wealth in the world uh, that you and I often don't get exposed to, right? And my job was often to visit fairly wealthy people and try to convince them to give money to uh, the cause that I was associated with. And one time I visited a gentleman, really lovely older man in his 80s, Visited him at his home in Rancho Santa Fe, sweet old guy. And he, as I got to talking to him, he shared with me that he once was the owner of a winery in Napa, California. Uh, this was his second career after he retired from finance in Chicago. and flew to California, tried to figure out what to do with his life while he was retiring because he didn't want to be bored, so he bought a winery. right? And uh, they made wine for about 10 years. And then he decided to sell the winery after he turned it into a pretty uh, successful wine-making operation. And he said to me, one of the best things I ever did when I sold that winery was negotiate in the selling price the agreement that for the rest of my life, until I died, I'd get a case of wine every month from the winery. And I was like, wow, that seems like a pretty good deal. And he said, would you like some? It's like 11 o'clock in the morning. Right. I'm at his house. I'm trying to convince him to give us money. And I'm like, yeah, I definitely want some of your wine. So he took me to his like wine cellar. He opened the doors, just rows and rows of wine. He hobbled. He's like in his 80s. Right. So he like took his like cane in there and he pulled a bottle of wine out and he blew some dust off of it. And then he this was his like, you know, from his former winery. And he asked me to help him open it because his hands were a little like old and shaky. And so I opened the bottle of wine for him. And then, you know, poured a couple of glasses. And we sat down, we swirled it around, you know, like I acted like I knew what I was doing. I, listen, just because you've gone on wine tasting in Temecula does not mean that you know anything about wine, right? But I was like, you know, swirling it around, I'm smelling it, you know, and I took a drink. So listen, you guys. Uh I have never tasted anything more glorious in my life. Now, I like wine okay, right? I mean, I'm a connoisseur of two buck chuck, right? But like I have never tasted anything that was as, it was like drinking bottled sunshine tinged with Peat and licorice, like I don't know. It was amazing. It was blowing my mind. And I was sitting, as I was sitting here drinking, sipping on this wine, thinking, "Oh my gosh, what have I been drinking my whole life?" (laughs) He said to me, "This is pretty good, right?" And I said, "Yeah, man, this is really great." He said, "Can you believe they get 250 bucks a bottle for this?" Okay, so here's the thing. I tell that story number one just to remind all of us in the room that none of us can afford $250 bottles of wine, (laughs) right? But mostly I tell that story because wine that is old and aged and mature is the best. The point of this story is not that newer is better. That is not the point of this story. The point of Jesus' parable, Jesus' image is that the healthy spiritual life is a continual process of change. It is an ongoing, never-ending process of fermentation and transformation that involves a paradoxical relationship between the old and the new. Listen, there's a reason why we come here and we sit in an old building that is 100 years old and has more white Jesuses per capita than any church in America on the stained glass windows, and why Joey will still sing old hymns every Sunday, and why we read from this book that is thousands of years old, and we say old prayers like the Lord's Prayer. The reason we do that is because what is old and mature is oftentimes the best. We take the age and the depth and the maturity and the wisdom of our tradition seriously here because it is good, it's deeply good. But there's also a reason why as a church, we have teams who are committed to creating liberated spaces for LGBTQ people who are oppressed. There are reasons why we have teams who sing on stage old black liberationist spiritual songs. There's a reason we have ministries that advocate for new police policies in this community that do not harm bodies of color. There's a reason why we create new constructs. It's because the spirit of God is always doing something new. But listen, the new thing is often just a little too strong. It's a little too bitter. It's a little too astringent. Its acid content is a little high. Sometimes it's not until we have taken the good thing that God is doing and allowed it to age and mellow and acquire some maturity that we can stomach it. And so we do both here. We drink the old stuff because it's good. Because it makes our hearts glad. But we keep making new stuff because at some point, we're going to run out of the old. Right? When I was making beer in my garage years ago, I had a whole shelf full of kegs, of aging beer and they all had dates on them that told me when they were ready to drink. But listen, if I didn't keep making new beer, eventually I'd run out and that's an emergency. (laughs) We have to keep making new wine, we have to keep making new beer, we have to keep creating new containers for the way that the spirit of God is fermenting us and transforming us and doing something new. And then we take that and we care for it and we nurture it and we put it on the shelf and we allow it to grow and mature and balance itself out. And at some point we drink it and it nourishes us and it makes our heart glad. That sort of dialectical relationship of old and new is one of the things that we try to do here. Too often, churches come in either or variety. They work all the time to preserve the old, to protect the old, to insist that all you can do is drink what's old. And they don't make anything new. And consequently, they start to look a little dated and smell a little musty. And listen, sometimes wine gets too old, you guys. And then there are churches that insist that all that you should be drinking, can be drinking, ought to be drinking, is whatever is brand new. And those churches often lack depth and character and flavor. We're trying to sit within those two places. Does it seem that way? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you again for today, for this space and this opportunity for us to lean into what it means to be people of God. We don't pretend to have all the answers. We don't pretend to be the only people of God. We don't imagine ourselves to be doing it all right, but We are people who are thirsty for the good things that you're doing. We pray that you would give us the wisdom to discern when you are doing something new in our lives and in the world around us and join with you. We pray that you would deepen our shelves with old wine that we can drink and find nourishment and gladness in. We pray that you would grow us and mature us so that we have depth and flavor. We thank you for the ways that these images open up our imagination for what's possible. We pray that you'd continue that work in us, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is CJ. It's good to be back up here with you. And in addition to uh, being here on a Sunday morning and listening to our old wise pastor, share some great messages, we want to give you the opportunity to be involved and to get involved. And here are a couple quick things for you. Uh, this past week our fall dinner and dialogue group started. Each of these groups will uh, gather for three dinners hosted by members of OSC from Carlsbad to Oceanside all the way up to Laguna Hills. You will eat together, you'll have a chance to make new friends, and create a safe space together for learning uh, the process for your faith journey, and to put your faith in action. Space is limited, so you can head over to the Oceanside Sanctuary website to see the dates and locations, and make sure you RSVP for that. Joe, you might be a better one. You've already talked about this Wednesday night, but there's several groups in addition to your team that'll be here.
2: Well, we are really, really honored to bring together Ben Grace and, uh, his wife, his partner to be with us, uh, to be singing. We're going to be bringing Talib, uh, the minister or the, the worship leader over at the table, a church in, uh, Encinitas, as well as, um, a very, number of organizations, including SDOP, the San Diego Organizing Project, uh, the League of Women Voters, the North County LGBTQ Resource Center. We're all showing up here with the, uh, goal of activating the vote and of creating this beautiful tradition of worship nights. Um, Have you ever attended a worship night? Anybody ever done that? It's just this beautiful opportunity to come together and to do um, sort of the work of connecting with God through music through a variety of songs and traditions all within this beautiful community that we've got. So we're going to have an opportunity to sing, we're going to be learning, we're going to be registering people to vote. So the last thing I'll say is, this isn't just for, in fact, it's really not for us as much as it is for the folks who need to be registered and reminded to vote. So I encourage you, even if you can't make it, please invite anyone you know, particularly young folks who tend not to vote. to attend or at the very minimum to get registered to vote and to participate in this November's election. Thank you.
1: This Wednesday night, 7 p.m. right here in the sanctuary, October 19th. Finally, if you would like to uh, volunteer, we've got another great spot for you. Every Monday, our food pantry is looking for volunteers. Our food pantry serves over 400 people per month. We'd love to have your help. We'd love uh, for you to consider being part of that. Um, you can connect with our team. You can connect with Alex. You can email him at alex at oceansidesanctuary.org to get more information about the pantry, the hours that he is looking for volunteers. So if you have Mondays available, they need the help, and that is a big operation to serve all those uh, people that are in need through the pantry. All of these events and for Wednesday night, you can RSVP at theoceansidesanctuary.org backslash calendar or you can scan the QR codes that are posted throughout the sanctuary. And then finally, uh, the Oceanside Sanctuary is a 501c3. You hear that every Sunday, but we say it because it's important to keep this church thriving and impacting this community. And we can do that through gifts from you. So you can do that on the Oceanside Sanctuary website. You can also do that through scanning the QR code, oceansidesanctuary.org backslash give. Um, this morning, I was reminded of two things. Number one, to slow down, right, Janelle? It's hard to do. To slow down and allow ourselves to ferment a little bit more, right? And at some point, the Spirit of God is just going to explode us, and we're going to saturate that community, both individually and collectively. So slow down this week ferment a little bit more and see where that goes. May the peace of God be with you. Have a great week, everybody.